0: Oh, Turner, that bringing that smoke! And now McDermott again, right to the rim, with authority! Rodden gets around, Rodden, oh, and yeah. down. Yeah. Plumford, yeah. skies high for the jam! Warren lets it fly, yes! T.J.
1: Warren is not human! Pace Nation, what's going on? Welcome to a special edition of Setting the Pace. Today we're joined by the President of Basketball Operations, Kevin Pritchard. Kevin, how's it going?
2: Going great, guys. How are you guys doing?
3: I'm doing well, Fachi. How are you doing? Oh, my God. I'm doing better than ever, Kevin.
1: (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) So, KP, just to kind of get things started off today, I wanted to uh, just get a quick injury update on Karis LeVert and TJ Warren, two guys that I know Pacer Nation is just ready to see back in uniform. Do you have any updates on their injuries?
2: Sure. Um, I don't know if it's an update. I know Nate uh coach has talked about it uh today and, and yesterday. But Karras is really looking good. He's on the court, he's doing some light shooting. Uh he'll have to see the doctor one more time and in the next week and then, then we're hopeful that he can start doing some, you know, two on oh, three on oh, five on o, run up and down with the team without any defense set. And then within a week to 10 days after that we're hoping that he can he can really get out there and practice uh you know it's an interesting year because of the way they scheduled games we haven't had a lot of practices you know there's you know four games in a week and you know it's a day off game day off game day off and it makes it challenging to to get really full practices because coach really likes to give guys the day before a game really not off day but uh, a light practice he wants to save their legs he does a really good job in doing that so but but he is way ahead of where we thought he'd be you know when when you think about something or a a player that you know um, has an issue with his kidney and and goes through that it's just it's amazing modern medicine is doing what it's doing and and so we're really excited um, about that tj's in indiana um he's he's starting to walk uh he's starting to put pressure on his foot Um, but that is it's an interesting injury because a lot of people get it it's not a very serious injury but it doesn't get a lot of blood flow so you you know you want it to 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 be you know ready and you know really moving fast but That injury just takes a little longer, but he's on schedule. Um, You know, he's doing everything he can do, uh, talking about TJ. Uh, It's just going to take some time, but, you know, he'll be back. He'll be back 100%. TJ's one of those kind of guys. He just loves basketball, and he just, you know, once he's able to get uh, a basketball in his hands and move around, he improves really fast. But to get to that point, it just, the body takes some time.
3: Kevin, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to sleep tonight after that update because I think we are all fired up to see this team finally come together. I mean, the fan base, they're on the highest of highs after a win. Oh, I can't wait. And sometimes they feel like the sky's almost falling after a minor losing streak. But can you tell us what the potential returns from Levert and TJ Warren are are gonna be like? Like what is the message that you would send to this fan base once we can get these players healthy back on the court?
2: Well, you know, I, I like for the team to really set the tone and set their own expectations. I, I would tell you, uh, you know, when we get everybody healthy, we've always felt like this. You know, it's really challenged to get like an A plus player. Uh they're just really hard to get, you know, either one's got to be born in your backyard or you got to be a big, you know, big market. But so, so we look at it and, and you kind of look in aggregate the whole NBA, you know, you look at some of the top teams and they've got one and two and some, sometimes up to three, like eight plus players. But I don't know in the last 10 or 15 years where we've had really good players at every position and then when you look at the the bench, you know with T.J. McConnell, Jeremy Lamb, Doug, uh, you know it's a it, that that top eight is is in my opinion maybe the best top eight we've had in a long time. And I don't want to put any pressure because each individual team has to you know represent. They got to go out. They have got to play the right way. They got to play tough. And you got to have a couple bounces go your way, but. I really like the potential. I like the fact I've always felt like in, in a place like here where basketball is really important, I've always wanted a team that had really solid players, solid fundamentals, everybody could go get 20. And you look at that starting lineup. You know Malcolm get, can get 20 in any night. You know Karras. I think he was averaging close to 20 and six assists when he went down, at least when he was in that starting role. TJ Warren was our best scorer last year. Sabonis, you know, averages 20, and Miles, you know, when we've asked, uh, he's he's become a scorer. So I think that that first five will really have a scoring punch like we've not seen in a long time. And I like that because who do you defend? Who do you put uh, the best defender on? Who do you game plan? Um, it, it, it's difficult when you think about another team. How do you game plan for that team when five guys can, you know, really score the ball in a lot of different ways. We've got shooters. We've got penetrators. We've got a guy that's a great mid-range guy. We've got a guy in the post. We've got a, a center who can really stretch the floor. I think there's a lot of option optionality with that team that I find really attractive. And then, you know, the, the I don't like the second group, but the, the, the guys that come off the bench – Um, they play with this amazing pace. T.J. McConnell just had this really unique year where we give him the ball. We don't call a lot of plays. We just give him the ball and let him go and and find gaps and get into gaps, and he either gets a layup or a good shot, or he's kicking out for a wide-open three. And, you know, when you look at basketball now, it's really become layup. Well, really, you're trying to get a free throw. of, Of any shot profile, you want to get a free throw. And if you can't get that, you want a layup. And if you can't get that, you want a, uh, an open three. Um, and th- and that second unit really really doesn't call a lot of plays. It's just pure, beautiful basketball that I love watching. And, and it really is because they can defend. They get steals. But then T.J. McConnell and Jeremy really get out and push the ball. And Aaron pushes the ball. Uh, Aaron's been um, had a really good game against Atlanta. It was a big part of that but i like this team you know a lot of times you sit in this position and you're like god do you really like the team but i really do mm-hmm. um I, sometimes I, w- I get impatient i want it to happen tomorrow but all good things to those uh who wait you know and stay patient so we're going to stay patient we're going to be really positive with this group of guys because they they really want to do it the right way of uh, uh, any team i've had in 20 plus years in the nba This group really wants to do it the right way, and so it's easy to root for this this group. They're competitive. Sometimes we're a little under talented, but they just they really want to win and they want to do it the right way. So it's easy to root for them.
1: Yeah, and I don't
2: and I don't want to put a negative spin on
1: things here, but I'm just curious. You know, the Pacers have struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks, and I know they played some stiffer competition, but. You know, uh, a game against the Bulls that just, like, they could not get a basket by the by the rim. It just felt like all the close shots are rimming out. It was a weird game. And I'm just curious, you know, throughout those last couple of weeks while they've kind of been struggling, what have you noticed that's
2: been one of the biggest reasons for
1: the, the team's struggles of late?
2: Well, I mean, the, the real easy answer is we traded a very, very good player in Victor Oladipo for a guy – that needed a, a few weeks to get healthy and go yeah. through a, a process. Anytime you take one guy off that was a potential closer, um, we, we knew what we were getting ourselves in. And we yeah. sat around the room when we knew Karis was going to have to have the the surgery. And we, we just felt like, you know, sometimes the basketball gods are against you and sometimes they're with you. And it's like a little bit of basketball karma. I felt like, and and, and Herb Simon, Mr. Simon, was really a big believer. He's like, let's do the trade. We know that there's going to be some short-term hiccups. We're willing to live with that because we felt like Karis was the perfect person for us for now and in the future, and we felt like, you know, we're going to pay the basketball gods a little bit, and hopefully hopefully it comes back to you. You never know if it does, but, um, you know, so the simple answer is you took a – a great player who could help, you know, carry an offensive load and defensive load. Yeah. Um, off the floor, that puts a lot of pressure on all our rest of our guys to step up. And there have been times we've done it, and there's been times when it's been very challenging. And and we all know that we wouldn't have done that trade. Yeah. Could we have had a few more wins? No doubt. But to get where we want to go we felt like Keras under contract for multi multi years with this team was the right thing to do and even again it was going to we we, we got to kind of tough it out a little bit here for a couple more weeks but we felt like it was worth it oh.
3: Kevin, from a a fan standpoint, 10 out of 10 times, I'm on board with making that move every time because I just can't wait to see that team come together. Love LaVert's game in general. Just all us fans just have to be a bit patient. But Kevin, not sure if you maybe took up magic in your free time or anything of the sort, but you have been an absolute magician when it comes to acquiring talent via trade. I mean, we're talking about... Whether it was acquiring Oladipo and Sabonis, whether it was the TJ Warren deal, the Malcolm Brogdon sign and trade, and the recent deal for Levert, is there a move in particular that you were
2: most proud of? Tough question. Um, I don't know if there was. I, I think you know this. It's it's very challenging. This is a very challenging business and. There are really smart people out there. Um, I think what we've really tried to do, and I've I've learned it from Donnie and and Donnie Walsh and Larry Bird, is, you know, you kind of you try to piece together things that that are win-win. You know, you know, and and you, I I think probably the thing that I'm most proud of is, no matter what was going to be said no matter what was going to be written or what was blogged or what was, you know, on a podcast or or whatever, we really try to take our ego, our personal egos out, uh, personal agendas, and we just say, let's do what's right for the franchise. And nobody has done that better than Donnie and Larry. And, you know, for me, you know, when we did the Paul George trade, we, we knew it was going to be challenging, uh, in the media, and you know immediately the grades come in, right? And you're seeing all these, you know, really bad grades. But we have a phenomenal owner, and we did that trade. And I remember succinctly, like literally every single day, you know, Herb was calling me up, Mr. Simon and saying, "Listen, you did the best you could. We're going to stand by this." We think it's going to be long term. Let's see how it plays out. But we made this decision, and so for me, that took a lot of pressure off of a, you know, a guy who'd been uh, you know, the top of the organization. But you know, to have that kind of backing was really special. So probably that one, if I was going to be, you know, most specific. But we really think T.J. Warren is a, a great fit here. He loves it here. He wants to be here long term, and. You know, Karis is. I think as people get to know him, are gonna really. He is an amazing kid, and you know, him going through this, and just keeping this amazing bright smile and attacking it with a smile every day is, is something, something very unique. Yeah, and I'll say that we had Michael Grady on. I
1: did to just kind of get his thoughts on Karis Levert, and he said that we'll probably fall in love with him just as much on the court as off the court. With the type of person he is and so I mean it's really easy to root for a guy like that but um, looking at this team this year Kevin I'm just curious your thoughts because um, clearly there's been guys that have stepped up their game but has there been one player in particular that's really stepped up and kind of exceeded maybe your expectations of how well they've
2: played this season well I think we've had a couple mm-hmm. you know I think if you look at our bench uh, T.J. McConnell he's um, if you look at his person 36 minutes i mean there's some really amazing stats in there uh we we, we try to not get too carried away with stats mm-hmm. you know but i mean he really does do some some amazing things pushing the ball getting the open man uh pressuring the ball i mean there 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 have been t- people i don't know if this is true it's one of those sort of folklores but since they've been tracking st- Deals in the backcourt you'd have to think he's he's in the top of that 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 <laughs> list you know i mean it's amazing you know he just he's just pesky back there he stays he's like this little gnat and you know i remember <laughs> playing against guys like that. i hate playing against like he was like get off me you know get off me and he just he just keeps coming at you and i think he's really stepped up i think doug in this system the system that the and this moving cutting you see him get a lot of easy shots at the rim mm-hmm. you see him get uh open threes uh I, I really like that but you know jeremy jeremy's been probably the most surprising because a year ago that was a tough injury that was a really tough injury there were a couple moving parts in his knee that you know we were we were we were worried and you know he stayed in Indiana throughout the whole process. Josh Corbeil and Carl Eaton and Sean Wendell—they literally worked with him every day, all day. It was—it was amazing process. I've never seen somebody really attack it every day with, you know, physical therapy, uh, conditioning, weights, uh, nutrition. I mean, he attacked it, and we we really pushed him on that in in all the facet, facets facets. of of recovery and you know he's a 50 40 90 guy right now um, or close to it i believe that that is that's really a credit to his dedication because you know when you have that injury or any major injury you have the injury year you come back and then it takes about another year to get back to yourself sometimes players you know come back a little sooner sometimes a little later but that's that's kind of the thought process. He he came in game one and he was felt like he was r- ready to go. And you know, as the season goes on, I think that he'll get his legs even more and become um, more important to this team. But I think Jeremy's been really surprising coming back from this injury.
3: Jeremy Lamb's comeback to be as efficient as he is this early has been nothing short of unbelievable. But one person yeah. that I. It really has, but one person that I feel like uh, someone who's playing really good basketball right now is Miles Turner, and when his confidence level is high, I think that he's a force to be reckoned with night in, night out. What have you seen differently out of Miles this year? And is this finally the year that he deserves to get the credit on an all-defensive team or maybe even defensive player of the
2: year? I hope so. I hope so, because we need him. We rely on him our defenses set around him legitimately set around him and he doesn't get his credit for being as tough like he has had some bumps and bruises and he steps in there every time but more than anything what you see off uh, on the court miles has grown into a leader off the court and uh, and for me that's what i love seeing is how he's talked to his teammates and you know, there's there's ups and downs of every year. It's just natural. And you know, the last couple of weeks have been tough, but Miles has done a great job of making sure everybody stays together. And you know, going back to his rookie year to now, I mean, I, it's incredible. It just shows you how how players can change. They be, they mature. They they understand what it takes to, to you know to be a leader and then I look down and I'm like, he's 25, you know, he's 24, 25 years old and he's growing into this leader already. There's, there's no doubt that his best of his basketball is in front of him. And, you know, he does not get the credit that he deserves. He really doesn't because when he, when he rebounds and blocks shots, when he does both those things and it's like, you know, super important for us, we're a completely different team. We are a completely different team. So, we need him, and he's he's embracing the role. And I I see, as 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 we get healthy, as we get everybody back, um, you know, his defensive presence at the rim will be paramount for us long term.
1: Yeah, and speaking of uh, his front court partner, Demonte Sabonis, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and and Bill Simmons had Charles Barkley on, and Barkley claimed that Sabonis was one of the top ten to fifteen players in the world. Uh, I, I don't like to do lists because I think it's really hard to sit there and uh, compare players because there's so many great players in our league. But when you look at a guy like Sabonis, you know this is a guy that was coming off the bench after we traded uh, for him, and now he's evolved into an all-star and hopefully a two-time all-star. Uh, you know, here in a couple of weeks we'll see that. What are your thoughts on Domas's overall development since he first got
2: here to now? Well, I think the easiest thing to say uh, is that. As much as we depend on Miles on defense, literally Domas is is like a you know he's like a point guard he's like a he's like a quarterback out there. I mean you know Brooklyn is truly our point guard and, and quarterback, and he calls a lot of offense. But I don't know a team that goes through a, a power forward or uh, a player as much uh, as we do. I mean his use, usage rate is really high but is deserving because he's a really good passer he's a willing screener he's a willing diver like one of the hardest things in this business to get bigs to do long term is hit the pick and roll hit it hard and dive the pressure that diving puts on a defense uh really is incredible and he does it you know and and I don't know if you guys ever noticed, there's there's a lot of things that we watch for when we look at players. One of one of the things that's important is you can do that. You can hit the pick really hard, and then you can dive really hard. But he also catches some really tough balls, and he's got great oh, yeah. hands. And and to be able to do that and finish, um, you know, that's what we do. We set a ton of pick and rolls. We, we dive them a lot. He's in a lot of DHO, dribble handoffs. Um, if somebody goes back door, he's a willing passer. He sees the pass. He's made some incredible passes to, to, to Doug this year. You know, he's had a couple of lobs. I mean, how many power forward centers has thrown a lob this year? Not, not many. So, um, you know, there's some areas that, 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 you know, right now he is getting game planned every single game and teams are playing more physical they're they're hitting him earlier in the the, the offense they're making it difficult to, for him to get to his spots um but i know domas he's tough as heck he will do anything this team needs and he'll bounce back like last game he missed some easier shots but i know him he's he's such a competitive guy and that that competitive spirit is we kind of base the team around that and um, you know, and to think that, you know, he's an all star, he's he's twenty four years old and his best basketball's in front of them too. Like one of the things we love about this team, we really only have one guy that you'd call like a serious veteran. We we've got a lot of middle veterans. Like they've been in the league, they've been in four or five years, they're you know, they're they're becoming wily veterans, but really Justin uh, Holidays our only guy, and he's he he's been in the league eight years. He hasn't played a lot of minutes over the years, but he's really important to us because he defends everybody. And he's got a, in my opinion, he's still got growth left in his game. So the best thing about this team, keep it together, let them grow together for a while, It takes some time. And once they really understand their strengths and weaknesses, I, I think that's when it'll click. We'll be a good team uh, in the beginning, but I think – there's a time when this team really understands each other, and that's the time when it'll really click.
3: I completely agree. I mean, they really just need to get these guys together. That's what the whole fan base has just been waiting for, is to get your ideal starting five together for an extended period of time. And Justin Holiday was someone that Alex and I were really vocal about wanting to add to this team as a true veteran, because like you mentioned, a lot of young talent on this team. But outside of injuries... What is separating the Pacers from the league's elite? Is there anything you think maybe we need to improve upon or potentially add to this team in any way?
2: Well, we hadn't rebounded as well as we've wanted to this year. Um, I think part of that is we really try to pressure the ball, and that gets us a little bit in rotations. That could be part of it. But, you know, we've got to become a better rebounding team. And, you know, there's an old adage in this league that, that every trade deadline, you can never add enough shooting. You know, we've shot the ball okay this year. I think we have better shooters than what we've shot. Uh, that that comes in waves. I've been with teams that all of a sudden you just look up and you're like, my gosh, we're making a ton of shots and we haven't been doing it. And then sometimes you're like, God, are we ever going to make a shot? I think we've gotten – we've been surprised this year – the quality of our shots has gone up you know a ton like you know leaps and bounds our quality of shots what we haven't done is we haven't knocked them down at as, as at a pace that we thought we would and I think that is you know there's a lot of reasons for that potentially i think the biggest thing is we just got to keep shooting them because we're getting them and our shooters we want shooting and I think Nate does a great job of just saying, "You get your shot, you take your shot every single time," and and we'll start knocking down some shots. And you know, we're three or four wins more right now with this group. With all these injuries, we're still right in the mix, and we're probably three or four more wins if we just hit that one critical shot in the the most important moment. We just right now we haven't hit that shot, but we will. And, and and we've got guys that that believe in themselves. And, you know, once we get healthy, we'll add a couple other guys that can really make those shots. But we're getting great shots. We just got to knock down a couple more. But believe it or not, out of all the things you you learn in this business, when it gets down to a couple minutes left in the game, it turns into a miss or make league, period, bottom line. Yeah, and uh you know,
1: it's it's interesting because I know fans are always excited by transactions, and uh, I'm I've just got to ask this because I know fans will be disappointed if I don't. But uh, we already made a move this this year, and it was a pretty big move to say the least. The trade, Victor. Yeah, that was Dickers a big universe. one. Now those
2: don't come <laughs> around. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> not very often. I mean, it's a pretty no. Not no, no, starting
2: twos that are twenty six. No, right, right.
1: So. Uh, do you anticipate being active again once it, or around the trade deadline? I mean, obviously, you would be, you know, not doing your due diligence by being uh, somewhat active, answering calls, whatever. But I mean, as far as you know, being aggressive, do you anticipate being
2: that, or uh, is just going to kind of be a wait and see type of thing? Well, you know, if you to ask me that ten or fifteen years at the early part of my my career in this league, I would have said, oh yeah, we're gonna. We're going to be super aggressive. We're going to try to get a great player, and you know we're going to mix it up. And then what Larry and Donnie have taught me is there's a time to be really aggressive, and there's a time to let a team sort of figure it out themselves, learn each other, and and if you're patient, look, Donnie has taken a team to the finals. Larry was the the head coach, and then. As a, a general manager and a president, Larry took a team to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. I'd be remiss if I didn't listen to that. I mean, you know, I I think we've got a lot of great players, a lot of high level smart, tough players on this team. Of course, you always listen. You're always trying to figure out is is there a way to get a little bit better here and there. But I will. I won't. What I won't do is. I won't make a trade just to make a trade. Sometimes it feels like you do a trade. Yeah, you're showing, you know, you're working and you're you're, but you don't move the needle much. You know, you don't trade a a B player for B player at this time of the year. You don't trade a, you know, a, an A minus for an A minus or a C for. You you don't make parallel moves right now, because what I've learned probably more than anything. There really is a locker room. There's a, a locker room culture, and I like. I really like our locker room culture right now. We have guys that are super positive. You know, we'll win a big game. Guys will say the right thing. We'll lose a tough game. We lost a tough game. What the guys say in the locker room is really encouraging. They 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 back each other. You know, no one is overly critical with each other. They really try to you know, bring each other up, and I like that. I really like that. Maybe maybe, maybe that's too important to me, but I always have felt like, you know, on the teams that I've been on in the past, and when the locker room is good, you just tend to win a few more games long-term, and maybe not short-term, but long-term. If, if they get along in the locker room, they get along on the court, the ball moves a little bit more, they help each other on defense a little bit more. They hold each other accountable a little bit more, and so I don't. I'm very reluctant unless it's a no-brainer to make a a, a move. To be honest with you, this time,
3: I definitely respect it. Uh, but one one of those moves I wanted to touch on real quick is you know the Pacers have been looking for that franchise point guard for years. Can you tell us what the how the importance of Malcolm Brogdon has been to this team on and off the court? Because I think that he embodies everything that you want in a leader and a point guard and could not be happier to have him on this team.
2: Yeah, Malcolm's, Malcolm, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to describe Malcolm. He's, he's very introspective. He thinks about things. He cares. He really takes the, you know, the responsibility of being the point guard of this team. Uh, you know, he thinks about um, you know how we can be better, I know him and Nate have a phenomenal relationship like i I walk by the office and they 're having lunch all the time together and'll they 'll sit and I know that they talk about basketball, and I think they talk about other things, but the thing that you know is Malcolm is willing to take responsibility for the team you know he 's taken some big shots he 's made some he 's missed some, but he 's always willing to, and I like that about him and you know the thing I've noticed with Malcolm, no matter where we are in the game, he just stays steady. You know, he just he doesn't get too riled up, he doesn't get too riled down. He keeps guys steady. And you know, some sometimes when you're in a game and you get down, it's easy to kind of go crazy and oh my gosh, you're down. But if you kind of just stick with it, you know. And we've had this in the past. We've come back from some big games. New Orleans was one of the most amazing comebacks this year. This team knows that they can come back. Sometimes they know that teams can come back on them, too. But I like the steadiness that Malcolm brings to the the, the locker room, to the court. Um, and he's, he you know, in his admission, he's learning this team. I mean, he's not played a lot of minutes with some of these guys when, then when, he, when we get Karras, Karras and him have got to develop a relationship because they're both very similar. They can make plays for themselves, but both of them are really good passers and willing passers, and I love it because now, now you have McConnell who can really pass the ball. you got Malcolm who can really pass the ball. you got Karras who can really pass the ball, and Domas can really pass the ball. And Miles, is he's kind of getting more confident in, in, in doing that. So mm-hmm. I like when you have a lot of playmakers and guys that can move the ball and make the right pass at the right time. It's just tough to guard. So I like that we're kind of developing a lot of pass-first guys too. Yeah, and I'll have to say this real quick on that Pelicans regular season game. That
1: comeback game, I think, it was a complete team effort just the way that Bench and Sabonis with that unit brought the team back, and then Victor and Miles yep. hit those big shots. I mean, it was just, you know, and then sealed off of the Brogdon's game winner. That might have been the most fun regular season game I can remember, probably going back to the time we beat the Raptors when you all brought Lance back for those final six games Yep, yep. Uh, to make that, that final time. push. But uh, but I, I do want to, I do have to touch on this just because, um, unless you don't want to talk about it, but I, I, I've got to ask about T.J. Leaf, uh, someone that you guys drafted, and it just didn't work out. Obviously, you guys traded in this off season and just what was your overall thought when you guys did draft him, and what kind of
2: happened there where it just didn't work out with the team? Well, you have to look at the context. So, you know, what, what happens in this league is you, you, can, you can draft well. You can make good trades. Um, you can have great signings, free agent signings. But it's impossible to do all of them because at one point in time they cannibalize each other, and so one of the things I think we did once we drafted, we drafted TJ, felt really good about him. He played a little bit, but Thad came in, uh, and and players kind of moved ahead of him. And what happens is, and I, I trust me, I know this as, as well as anybody. There's a there's a connection between growth and the opportunity to get in there and show it over uh, uh, um, over some time. Um, and and I think, you know, for us, we, 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 we love TJ. We hope he, he plays well and gets back in the NBA. I'm not sure we gave him the greatest opportunity because there wasn't an opportunity to be had because we had Domas and Thad at the time, and, and both those were trades. And, and, and so what happens in the series, when you look at the, the depth chart, you know immediately Thad, when we trade for him, goes to the first, first four, and then Savonas is at the second four, and then we put TJ at the third uh, power forward. How in the world was he going to get in and, and develop? It's hard to develop sitting on the bench. Yeah. And and so, you know, there's always this balance in the NBA of do you sign a guy or do you let your draft pick play? Well, if the signing makes you that much better, you go for the signing, okay? Now you look at trades, you're like, eh, can I make a trade that's a pretty good player that help us get into the playoffs and maybe you do okay, we'll make that trade. Well now now your draft pick's down to three. The literally the most important thing in a, a, a smaller, not not smaller franchise, that's not the right word, um, in a franchise like this is if you're picking in the top ten, you better make good picks. Yeah. If you make those are the critical things. If you make signings, those are the critical things. Unless you have some time to develop a player. Larry, uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he said, I have a three-year plan. I remember when he did it, he said, I got a three-year plan. I'm going to draft well, and I'm going to let these guys develop. And so he drafted, you know, Paul and I think Roy and, you know, and then, then there was a big signing, but he let those guys develop. We didn't really have the opportunity to develop, and sometimes you just don't because you can't do all well. You can't. It's impossible. But given the choice, I would, if you're trying to win now, you better do great signings, number one, and you better make good trades. And then, then you look at the draft because if you're drafting, let's say, on average 20 to 22, the average success rate of that pick is so low and the reason why is you're already a good team trying to win at that point in time. And so it's, it's an opportunity cost, it is, but you have to try to play it because if you hit at 20 and you've got a good team, well, it just makes you that much better. And, look, we've missed players, no doubt about it. We've missed players. But we also haven't been the right spot to develop them either because it's so hard to develop a player when you're not playing 15 or 20 minutes. And if you're playing those guys – a lot of times it's hard to win with them. So what are you? Are you trying to win or are you trying to develop? And so the last four years, um, you know, we've been in win mode because what happened is we made a really good trade and, and Victor came in and changed us from day one. Like, we thought we might be in a developing mode, but he made it perfectly clear with his play that, you know, Bullion came in, Darren Collison came in, Thag came in, and we were a better team than we totally anticipated, so we had no opportunity to uh, develop. There will be a time where we pick, and where that draft pick is super hyper critical, and I better make a good one. But it's also going to be a top ten pick or a top twelve pick, where you're looking for stardust. You're looking for you know somebody who's got a little bit of it factor. Rarely are you picking at 16 or 18 or 24 that they've got stardust. It just and – you, and you notice the guys that are playing well, you got to ask yourself, that team is probably developing and they're getting a the chance and they're playing 25 and 30 minutes early in their career. You know, I, I, I wish we could do everything well. We try our best. We've got a great scouting department. Um but it's hard to do all three of them great.
3: Uh, I think if we continue to stay the course, you have proven time in and time out that you are adding talent to this team year in, year out. And I just thought that based on what the media was saying, and you never know what the media is saying, but following the departure of Nate McMillan, it seemed like that you know head coach candidate list, it felt like it was anywhere from 10 to 15 names. I mean, it was almost comical that it felt like everyone was involved. You did your due diligence, but... What made you feel that Nape Bjorkman was the guy that separated himself from the pack and could be the guy to lead the Pacers to their first NBA title?
2: Well, I think probably the the biggest thing was, you know, he looked at the game differently than I'd ever seen, you know. I think he looks at the... At you know, I think him and Nick Nurse. I I remember him telling me a story that that really hit hit home with me. And and again, he's he's a young head coach. He is developing. I love his ability to learn. I think probably number one is he 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 admittedly knows that he doesn't know everything, and so he's like he's got this quest and this hunger to keep learning. I love that about him. But I think there's one story that kind of separated him in, in my mind is him and Nick Nurse had had coached in the, the minor leagues together, and it was like their first year. I think it was Nick Nurse's first year, or maybe, no, I think it was his first year, and Nate was his assistant. And he went there and worked with them for $500 for the whole year. And I think he lived with them and, you know, made ends meet, but he followed them around. And they didn't have a great year, and they decided that, like they were going to get in the room in the summer and they spent, they said from like, and, and Nick nurse was a great friend of mine. We, we, we travel together in the summer and he's been a great friend of mine for a long time, but he, they both talked about it, how it really changed their lives and that they, they looked at every single aspect of the game from practice plans to preparing to, um, you know, last play calls to responsibilities in your staffs. Um, and they, w- they they went and they wrote all these boards. They, 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 you know, I have a picture in my mind of like 100 boards up there and all this writing up there. And they kind of condensed it and they said, okay, here are some principles that we feel like that are different, that are new, that um, we can apply and be a good G League team. Well, that next year they, they use those principles and they won a championship. And then, you know, Nate becomes a head coach, and you look at what he did in the G League. Every team he went to, they improved the next year. And then he goes to Toronto, and they win a championship. And so, he's got some winning pedigree that I really like. I do like the fact that he's come from the G League and he's cut his teeth in the G League. But um, I think it's a com- combination that he's willing to try different things. I give you an example. I I I give him total credit. We lost the game, but I give him credit. When we lost at home against New Orleans, we were down. He put in a a completely different unit out there, and he went with it the whole fourth quarter. And we came Uh up short. It was kind of a weird call there at the end of the game, but we came up short. But I was so happy that he went with that team because, you know what, it sent a message like, if you play well, you're going to play. And I, I like the fact we can't do everything by the book in Indiana. You know what happens if you do the, by the book? You, you, you become average. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you keep getting in the middle of the pack. We won 48 games, 48 games, and 51 equivalent games last year. That's not average. That's above average. When you're winning that many games, you have a chance to win in the playoffs. We've had some bad luck with injuries, so, so be it. You know, we're not going to cry over that. But you have to be willing to try different things. And I like the fact that Nate was willing and is willing, and he's shown already, to try different lineups, to try a different guy in the starting lineup, to run a different play that anybody's ever uh, ran. And I I like that about him, that he's willing to take chances
0: like that.
1: Yeah, and it kind of goes back to your TJ Leaf point, trying to, you know, let guys develop. While they might not be on the depth chart, you know they might be in that third spot, and you know we've kind of seen that with with Goga a little bit this year. You know, had that injury to start the season, and then he gets back and gets a little bit healthy, and then of course, like you mentioned, the lack of practices, no training camp. Like it's been a weird season, and you know Goga has it's had a
2: very some- weird season <laughs> this year with, yeah. with, with with testing every day. You know the players don't; they're not allowed to go out on the road. You know you can't leave your room you know yeah. it's, it's a really you have to you know give these players a lot of credit because it's, it's challenging but i'm sorry i, I cut you off no,
1: no it's completely fine and i, I know we gotta get you out of here because we've been talking for a while but uh my last question and it really just kind of comes back to let's grow together because i i was asked yesterday i was a guest on the podcast and i said who is the pacers biggest rival right now and i was like I, I don't really think we have one if you if you're looking at teams like if you go back to the days of the 90s like when it was Pacers-Knicks, you know, then it became Pacers-Bulls. Right. It's just like it was the same teams playing against each other. Now we've got so much player movement. And I think that, you know, what your what your goal is for this team is to let them grow together. And, and it's funny because if you think about it, Michael Jordan didn't make the finals until he was eight years into his career. And some of these exactly. guys aren't even in the league for eight years. So I think the impatience comes from just the generation that we're a part of. It's uh, we want instant results right away. So – I guess, you know, with continuity being what you're going for, do you think all the player movement is a good or bad thing for the league?
2: Hmm. I don't personally, I I don't like changing over a team a lot, to be Hmm. honest with you. You know, I think there's an advantage. Continuity means something. You know, I remember seeing some of the, the great Pacer Teams with, with Reggie and Mark Jackson, and I, I could see, like, Mark would make a wink or look a different way, and then Reggie goes back door layup, you know? Yeah. That continuity doesn't happen all night, you know, overnight. And, and let's be honest, you know, some of these players have gone through AAU. They, they know each other, but they haven't played with each other for, you know, a year. I, I felt like really this year with, with COVID, with the challenges that that brought, with with all this uniqueness to this year, just being together, just being together, no matter what happens, is going to be critical for the next two or three years for us. And so, what what we've been preaching all year, just you know, it's it's nothing unique, it's nothing new. It's just what we're preaching is, you know, togetherness, togetherness, just. Let's do it together. If we have some hard times, let's do it together. Let's figure out how to get a little bit better. Let's let's try to help each other on the court. Let's try to help each other off the court. And the more we can come together as a team and really feel like a a real team, like like you said, you know, sometimes with all this player movement, you never know where is that team. You know, when I think some of the great older Pacer teams, I mean, Rick Smith was part of all of them. Reggie was part of all of them. the Davis brothers were part of all of them. Molly was part, you know, it's like mm-hmm. they were together sometimes. So just give us a little bit of time. I promise you the one thing I'll promise you, we have great kids, not kids. We have great guys on this team. They are unbelievable. You would, you know, you, you can be totally respectful. Uh, they, they respect, they, they love the game. They, they, they want to do what's right in this community. It's a really unique group. I'm I'm really proud of them. And we just got to stay together because there's a long-term plan here.
3: And I believe the long-term plan. I'm on board no matter what. But one of the things I've heard fans a lot of times say is that the Pacers are content with just being a playoff team. And I don't believe that. But what would it mean to you to be able to deliver the Pacers an NBA title? Well,
2: you know, we always dream about this. Um, you know, I'm from Indiana. I grew up in Lawrence and Noblesville and I was born in Bloomington. So I know what basketball means to this state. I've, I've, you know, my mom and dad picked up and, you know, during a junior high game and they would shut down Noblesville and we'd go play, you know, Zionsville or Fishers or something, Hamilton County, you know, I know how important it is and if we were able to get that lucky, you know, I have a friend, Bob Myers, is one of my best friends. He, you know, got into business. He made a couple of good, good decisions. And, you know, they became a, a dynasty and, you know, I'm hopeful. Um, I want to do it the right way. I want to do it. Great, great human beings. I'm a big believer in that, that there's, you know, if you do things the right way consistently, good things will happen. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a program with, really good human beings first that are good basketball players and let's come together this year and and really develop some cohesiveness and hopefully that'll be a trampoline for the next couple of years
1: absolutely kp so once again we just want to thank you so much for coming on it was an absolute blast uh just kind of picking your brain and seeing what, uh, what you had to say about the team and uh yeah, um, I, I had a fan reach out and say that they were a, a KU Pacer fan, and they wanted to know if they could get a shout-out. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least try to let you uh, give them a shout-out. I don't even remember what their name was, but they're a Kansas fan and a Pacer fan. <laughs> well, there's nothing
2: like uh, the Jayhawk basketball. I mean, Allen Fieldhouse is a special place. So, well, I appreciate you guys having having me on. Yeah, and
3: you're absolutely crazy. Truly a man of the people. I don't know another president of basketball operations that does this. So, that thanks a lot. And I know all of our listeners appreciate this.
2: No problem. Glad to do it, guys.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings